The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 14. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus heard about the beheading of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd, and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Here again from the prophet Isaiah. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. And from the psalmist, The eyes of all wait upon you, O Lord, and you give them their food in due season. You open wide your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Glory Day member uh, and retired ELCA pastor Brian Gentz is a regular participant in our Tuesday morning men's Bible study, which each week takes a look at the texts for the coming Sunday, and in doing so, gets the men starting preparing for worship come Sunday. It's also, however, Pastor Roger's first step in preparing the sermon for the coming Sunday. I like to think it's a win-win. By the way, if you're interested in joining these Tuesday studies, email me and I'll send you the Zoom invite. Random additional, by the way, a mere five months ago, if someone had said to me that in five months a sentence I would be saying more than any other sentence I say every week would be the, the sentence, I will send you the Zoom invite, I would have had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. Random additional, by the way, part two makes me wonder what I'll be saying in five more months that I have no idea right now would ever even need to be said. That's the nature of these so ever-changing times. Fortunately, oh my, fortunately, we are the church. 
And we know that we face all times in the arms of God's steadfast and ever unchanging love and grace. Final, by the way, I inherited the Tuesday group. I like it, but sometimes I've thought about the fact that it's a, it's a men's study, which means, um, well, only about half the congregation are actually officially invited. I think about though, and I think that we do have some women's studies too, and it does seem to me there's a place for both of those, and actually maybe, I don't know, maybe some additional demographics as well. That said, if there were others of you uh, who wanted each week to gather around the texts for the coming Sunday, to talk about them, and to prepare for worship for the coming Sunday, you, you discuss that among yourselves, and then you email me. And who knows, maybe that could be some, something too. Back to last Tuesday and the text for today and Pastor Brian, who chipped into the conversation with this observation. I just want to say that I can't read these texts without getting hungry. Someone said to him, what are you hungry for today, Brian? Pastor Brian said, well, to be honest, right now, a donut. Well, to be honest, too, as soon as he said that, I found myself hankering for a donut. Uh, maybe a Hertz donut. Maybe the bacon maple long john at Hertz. I'm here to tell you. What are you hungry for this morning? Is your stomach hungry? What for? Is your soul hungry? What's it hungry for? Again, the prophet Isaiah. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. And again from the psalmist, the eyes of all wait upon you, O Lord, and you give them their food in due season. You open wide your hand and satisfy the desire of every single thing. And again, what are you hungry for this morning? Truly. And what is it, truly, that would satisfy that hunger? Which takes us to our gospel reading today, where a large group of people have come to the realization that the way, what they are hungry for is, well, Jesus. Jesus, who in time he'd been spending with them, had touched them, filled them, fed them in ways neither anyone else or anything else ever had before, and they were hungry for more of him. So hungry for him, or for what it is that they had come to believe that he and he alone could give them, that when he departed in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee, they immediately departed on foot to meet him on the other side when he got there. The reason they followed him, I already told you. He had fed them the best food they had ever had in their whole lives, and they were hungry for more. 
That said, the reason Jesus had gotten in the boat, Matthew tells us, was actually to get away from the crowds for a while because he needed some time alone, because he was grieving, because word had just reached him in Galilee that his cousin and his prophetic foreteller and his spiritual forebear and even in some ways his hero, John the Baptist, had been killed, executed by King Herod Antipas. John had been a loud and prickling thorn in Herod's side ever since Herod had seduced, wooed away from, and then married his half-brother Philip's wife, a situation which John chose loudly and publicly and repeatedly to name not as fake news which could be disputed or boys will be boys news which could be winked at but rather as sin which needed to be repented of. Herod, influenced by his wife whose name was Herodias and uh, who hated John, and influenced, too, by his desire to look strong, not weak, in front of his friends who were gathered for his birthday, Herod had John beheaded, his head then delivered on a platter to his wife and her daughter in front of his friends. There's no mention of what anybody did or didn't say when that platter was served at the party, but I think it's safe to say that more wine was poured soon. And word of it got to Jesus. Jesus who then grieved deeply, for he loved John dearly and deeply. But make no mistake, even as he was grieving, Jesus also knew that John was not the last who would die in Jerusalem, the reason being an encounter between his faithfulness and the sins of the world. So now on the boat, no doubt, he was grieving. But on the boat, too, no doubt, he was contemplating maybe even having questions about it. Who knows, maybe even, maybe even having second thoughts about his own emerging sense of his own mission and where that was leading him. And so on the boat too, absolutely no doubt, he was praying. For Jesus, we see this in the Gospels, Jesus lived praying. And he found his way faithfully forward, praying. Which certainly means he also grieved, praying. Just as when the time did come, he would die, praying. His grieving and reflecting and praying in today's text, however, were interrupted when they neared the other shore, there to discover that the deserted place the quiet place where he'd wanted to spend a little time with no one 
except those who were closest to him, was instead now a place teeming with the very crowds he'd decided just a few hours ago he needed some time away from. Jesus then, for the who knows how manyth time, proving that he is not me, did not, when he saw them, roll his eyes, sigh, and say, for crying out loud, can't a guy get a day off? Jesus, rather, Matthew writes, when he saw the crowds, the crowds he actually had been trying to get away from, he had compassion for them. Compassion. It's a powerful thing. Some, not fully grasping its power, take it to mean the same thing as sympathy, but it is not. Sympathy is a word that describes feeling with others. It is a fine thing. It is a wonderful thing. It is a powerful thing in its own right. The world could surely use more of it. Compassion, on the other hand, though, is more than that. For compassion, biblically speaking, is what one up and does for others because of the feelings one feels for them. It's a no doubt way too simple example, but I want to say that sympathy says I'm sorry. And it means it, and that's good. Compassion, on the other hand, says I'm sorry, and drops off a casserole, and mows your lawn, and with your permission, of course, picks up the kids from soccer practice. For sympathy is what one feels. But compassion, biblically speaking anyway, is what one does with those feelings. Jesus, Matthew writes, when he saw the crowds, had compassion for them. Then, not just to feel what he felt, but rather than to go ashore and compassionately for the entire rest of the day, do what he did, which Matthew tells us was to cure their sick. Using countless other scenes in the Gospels as a guide, I think we can trust that that means that he cured those who were physically sick with a touch, and he cured those who were spiritually sick with a word, and he cured those who were sin sick with the merciful touch and word of the forgiveness of sin, all of it wrapped, and this is what fed them all most deeply, all that he said and did was wrapped in love that they knew, somehow they just knew, somehow they just couldn't not know that his love for them was the love of God for them. And people were so fed by his touch and his word and his mercies and his love that they stayed. And they were so fed that by mid-afternoon, they still hadn't even realized that they hadn't even had any lunch. And it also never even occurred to them that they had hauled off so quickly that morning that they hadn't packed anything for supper either. And now it was coming up on supper time. One thing the disciples knew is that they, sure as heaven, didn't have anything on hand to feed them, for there were thousands of them. So they said, Jesus, it is time to send these folks away 
so they can make their way to some of the villages they passed on the way and buy something to feed themselves. It's not a malicious or selfish or unconcerned request, for they are miles from anywhere, and it's getting late. It's completely prudent in its own way, actually. It's a compassionate request. See, so that Jesus said, no, they don't need to leave. You feed them. They said, we have nothing but five loaves and two fish. Now notice clearly, they did not say we can't do anything because we don't have anything. What they said was, we can't do anything because we don't have enough. All we have, they told him, are two and a half fish sandwiches. To which Jesus said, give me what you do have. And they did. And he then, of course, prayed. After which he then performed, as it turns out, the only specific miracle this side of Easter morning that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the only specific miracle, this side of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, in other words, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all thought absolutely needed to be told. Which is to say that there was unanimous consent, I want to suggest, not only of its verity, but also its importance. Because why? Well, maybe because this is a parable that, and a miracle, rather, that doesn't just tell us one thing. It tells us and shows us so many things. It tells us, shows us that Jesus, and by Jesus I mean God, if Jesus is who Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will all go on to say he is. This story tells us, shows us that God, the Son, and the Father feels and what God feels with and for are those whom God created. It's a statement we should, I think, do well to be more amazed by than I think sometimes we are. The statement that God is just not God, the almighty first cause and unmoved creator who created it all, but that God, too, cares. Cares about it all. Cares about you. It tells us, too, shows us, too, that Jesus, that God, Father and Son, is compassionate. God doesn't just feel with those who need. God is moved by compassion to act for those in need. It tells us, too, shows us, too, that to be God, or to be the Son of God, or for that matter, to be people of God, is not to be limited to the arenas of so-called spiritual needs alone, but rather, compassionately, that is to say, with feelings and with actions, to heed the leading of the Spirit in the direction of all needs. Be they the needs of those who need a healing touch, a healing plate of food or a healing word of gospel. 
And this four times told miracle story tells us too, shows us too, that the work and the purposes of God in the world, the holy and world-changing and world-feeding work of the Father and the Son are not just the holy work and purposes of Father and Son. For with the hunger of thousands in front of him, remember what Jesus said to the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee? You feed them. And so to today, with the hurts and hopes and hungers of the world in front of him, he says to his church, you feed them. And finally, this powerful story tells us too, shows us powerfully too, that we do not need what we don't have in order to be a vital part of God the Father and Son's reach of healing and feeding love for the world. All we need is what we do have and not a thing more. Of course, the disciples said, and you maybe say too, but I have hardly anything compared to the world's needs, which are so great. Ah, but then comes this wonderful four times told story again, telling us, showing us, reminding us, re-reminding us that hardly anything is one of Jesus' favorite things to work with. Sisters, brothers, are you hungry? What for? Take it to Jesus. He is great food. And you know who anyone who is hungry? What for? A phone call? A letter? A porch visit? A meal? A safe place to sleep? A safe place to grieve? A safe place to question? A friend? An advocate? A champion? A word of hope? A word of gospel? Hear the words of Jesus. You. You, my church. You, my child. You, my heart and my hands and my feet. You. Not with what you don't have, but with what you do have. Feed them. Amen.